Welcome! Welcome, lovely listeners, to yet another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, and they call me Mike Turner, and joining me is a man who's thankful that rain falls in billions of tiny drops rather than one giant one. It's producer Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? <laughs> Dying like a, like a Looney Tunes character because I get hit on the head with the one giant raindrop and I get compressed into a 2D plane and pop up and all of my teeth fall out like piano keys. <laughs> <laughs> like Wiley Coyote. Meep, meep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also joining us is a man thoroughly delighted with our electronic overlords robbing uh, us of goals in this World Cup by the slimmest of margins. It's Chris Zimmerman. How are you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing good. You know, I've been sitting for a few days, so I just need to stretch a little, and I'm offsides. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and not joining us this week is a man sick to death of our silliness. Not no, literally. <laughs> yeah, he is sick, but hopefully not to death. It's uh, Sean Campbell, not with us. So, enjoy. <laughs> That's for you, Sean. I know you don't listen. <laughs> Quick, talk bad about it behind his back. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't do that, would we? <laughs> no, we love you, fella. Hope you get better soon. But uh, not a lot on the uh, St. Louis City front to talk about this week, though. We did get another player reportedly coming across on social media. Most uh, likely where I read it was Twitter. It seems that uh, City are going to sign defender Jake Nerwiski, uh to a free agent contract. He's been with Vancouver for quite some time. Uh, he's a six-year MLS vet with, uh, by my research, 138 appearances in the league. This was uh, broken by Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com and backed up by Manuel Vaith of TransferMarketed.us. I don't know why I always say marked because that's the way it's sp spelled, I guess. Um, but uh, Vaith was also hinting that the initial price for Nowitzki uh, was too high. But Nowitzki wanted to come, wanted to come, make the move, join the squad, and the price fell to a point to where City could do it. It has not been officially announced, so this is not official yet. But these are two of the best uh, reporters out there to, when they say something like this, you can usually pin it down as long as things don't break down at the last minute in negotiations. Uh, Nowitzki can play right back or right center back if they go to a back three, which Normally, it's not the path that we see, but who knows what uh, what our coach will be doing uh, this season. And I think it's a pretty good pickup. Any thoughts from you guys? I don't really know much about him, but he's, you know, one thing that we don't have a ton of is experience, like MLS experience. We got a little bit of it. We got Tim Parker, um, but... These guys are mostly from Europe or lower leagues, or they were pretty new to the league, the guys that we got in the expansion draft. So having someone who's been around for a while, I think will help. Yeah. At 28, he is now the third oldest player on the squad. But you know, it looks like he isn't a splash signing. He isn't going to become a superstar, but a good, solid veteran who can you know, at least stay in the league for six years is a good presence to have. Yeah, it's a good... Good kind of signing for an expansion club. Somebody with a lot of experience that can uh, hold down a position, has proven himself in MLS to be able to do that at the very least. And uh, at 28 years old, he's coming into his supposed prime. 
and being the third oldest team tells you how young this squad actually is. But uh, this adds to more depth in defense, which might make things better for City in expansion you know, year. At least if they get beat a lot, they'll be done at the late in the game or they'll make it close. That's what we, that's all we can hope for. And we hope for better, but, uh, that's really what you want from a first year squad in MLS. Yeah. With the age, I, I remember I thought that Roman Berkey was quite a bit older than he was. And, um, I think it was actually you, Chris, to, like at a tailgate. He was like, well, he's only 32. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's the old guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, Parker is younger than I thought he was, too, considering uh, his uh, many years in MLS. So defensive side shape is starting to really come together quite well, Uh, still lacking a little depth at uh, the fullback positions, but the center back seems to be set. We don't have a backup goalkeeper, and, you know, that could be crucial. It just takes one play, one clattering, and... uh, and you got Berkey out for an extended period of time, and a lot of things could fall apart. So that's something to look forward to as we go along. Yeah, and notably, um, none uh, Creek, um, you know, n- nobody else from uh, M- MLS Next Pro Squad on in goalkeeper either came up or was retained. I think that they were in conversations to bring Creek back, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. And if they do bring him back, he will probably stay down in MLS Next Pro. So. I don't think that we would see him making the jump. So that is something that I think we kind of got to get on. <laughs> uh, but with Berkey, uh, City did invest a lot of resources into a frontline goalkeeper, more so than you normally ever see in the league. Uh, so they can go out and pick up uh, somebody to back it up, perhaps in the Super Draft. Uh, Charlotte got one with uh, Celitano, who did quite well when Alex Kahn got hurt. Uh, and went down and did quite a good job for them. So there's always a chance to pick up good goalkeeping in the U.S. for a pretty cheap price. Now that we've proven that Lutz remembers that right backs exist, I think whether or not Lutz realizing he needs a backup goalie or not is going to be the next question answered. Um, and Lutz has said that part of the reason he chose Berkey was because, unsurprisingly, he fits the system. He's a goalie that can play a high line. So... Finding someone for the right price that will slot into that backup spot that still plays the high line that Lutz is looking for might be a bit of a challenge, but we'll find someone. You would hope that uh, a man who spent his entire career as a backup and emergency goalie would remember that he needs a backup goalie. <laughs> Unless he has uh, has designs on the position himself. Who can say? <laughs> He really doesn't want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, he <it> doesn't. <laughs> Haunted. <laughs> Haunted. But uh, for the big news coming out of City, well, that's about it for a holiday week. Not expecting much. We are recording this on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, so probably everything will break out tomorrow before, after we record, before the show gets out. So uh, we know how that goes, but that's the nature of the business. Other news coming across that it could involve City, perhaps, uh, across MLS, is it does look like City will actually get to play in a real-to-life New York City FC home park, home field. Wouldn't that be something special? Uh, land has reportedly been acquired in Queens for NYCFC to uh, 
build their own stadium near to City Field there in the area. And uh, it's only taken how many years? And now how many years to construct? Eh, they're pretty good at building things in New York, but what's the priority? I would imagine it'll be at least two, probably three years until we actually are able to, you know, they actually play in that stadium. And then how many years, if we're in the West, how many years it'll take us to actually go to New York to play in that stadium? I'm seeing here that history has vindicated me and uh, they were always going to end up in the boroughs because I remember NYCFC being very adamant about playing in Manhattan. And it's like, come on, dog, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. All of that Arab oil money can't buy you land in Manhattan. There were talks for a while of them building a stadium in the Bronx and then sharing it with uh, Fordham University's football team. But that fell through. So now this spot is, it's on Willits Point in Queens, which is basically right across the street from City Field, and is currently a, a dump. You know, so this, <laughs> it is, I'm not saying that theoretically, I mean, go on Google Earth, look at it, it's it's a dump. It's so a garbage dump. <laughs> it's probably the cheapest piece of land on New York City possible. It still probably cost a kidney a square foot, but it's still pretty cheap land that they're developing, so... Apparently, New York isn't built out yet. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, though, you know, stadiums being built on dumps is by no means uncommon. But it just means they'll truck more trash to lay out in somewhere in Texas because Texas will take the money and take their trash. It's already happening. They'll just train it across. Keep an eye out for that trains, by the way. Maybe you can spot some. Well, NYCFC trash coming through your neighborhood. Well, I don't know because it looks like the <laughs> looks like the, uh, the the unions are about to go on strike because um, the class ones don't want to pay a living wage. <laughs> yep, I just looked. Um, the New York City FC stadium is scheduled to be completed in 2027. So, um, see you guys in 2032. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God. And one other bit of news that just won't go away. Uh, City may also have a chance to play against Lionel Messi as early as, say, this summer. Of course, this rumor has been around forever. Nothing ever comes of it. But this time, uh, the rumors are coming in from uh, more reliable sources than we've seen in the past to the fact that... uh, Fabrizio Romano's having to discuss them amongst other leading transfer uh, mavens, let's say, on social media coming out of Europe. Uh, There seems to be smoke here, whether it's just, you know, hit leverage for a new contract uh, negotiations with PSG or elsewhere, say Barcelona again, uh, will have to be seen. But Messi is getting older. And he's still got a lot of game in him, as we saw in the World Cup for Argentina. Uh, maybe it's time for him to make that move and extend his career and get a chance to live in the States, which he has seemed to be open to for quite some time. And this is Messi going to enter Miami, of course. Of but, course. Um, and David I, Beckham. Yeah, I, I, I still don't really buy it, I got to be honest. Um, but who knows? I've been wrong in the past. You wouldn't get me to admit that often, but <laughs> uh, no, but one, no, I, no I, one's I, listening. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know, man. It, maybe I, I think that really it's just it's every every cycle, every rumor mill. This one comes back around. I don't know, I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. But Messi himself 
has kind of fueled this a little bit. Now, again, like I say, is that leverage in contract negotiations? Probably. Has he made enough money to afford to take less in uh, MLS? Miami's going to pay him a lot of money, but yes. Um, is he ready for to move closer to Argentina? Who can say? Uh, but he has not squashed any of these rumors, and why would he? It's in his benefit to keep them going. What gives me the most pause on this one isn't the money or the you know the fact that Miami doesn't have a proper stadium yet and he'd be playing in Fort Lauderdale, all the other reasons people are saying, but I've known that for the longest time, Messi has stated that he wants to end his career back home at Rosario in Argentina. I, you know, is Miami really that much more of a greener pasture than going home and playing Rosario? Like I know he's, he, at least he has said that he's wanted to do since he moved over to Barcelona when he was 12. He was young when he moved away from home. Now with these rumors comes the thought that, uh, Part of the ownership of the team in Inter Miami will be given to Messi to get him to come over. And we're doing this again. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. still out there. And if so, the franchise value of teams in MLS, because there's no pro rel, are really big. So there's a lot of return on investment. If that comes to pass, he may want to play, play for two, three years, and then retire to Rosario. There's also the fact that now MLS may very well, with the quality on the pitch, have passed the Argentinian League as a place and a destination to play. So, I mean, the designated player rule is called the Beckham rule to get him over there. Is the Messi rule going to be like the stock sharing option? <laughs> uh, it's never really not been in the rules, uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, I haven't really studied that. I'll have to look it up. But... Uh, I believe that uh, MLS, if they could get Lionel Messi at this point in time in his career, would go ahead and bend those rules to bring him in. That's mm. a make worldwide attention for a league that's getting more and more attention worldwide from fans. It's already well on the radar of people within the, the football industry in Europe and overseas, but this would put it more in the up on the front pages across the world. If he does make that move, so they would make it happen somewhere. It's in their best interest, to be quite honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question that this would be the biggest rainfall in terms of money this league's ever going to see. The jersey sales for Messi, the TV deals, uh, ticket sales. I'm not going to lie. After seeing this news, I thought about what it would take to see Messi in person with uh, St. Louis being in the Western Conference and scheduling you know, a train trip up to Chicago with them selling out all of Soldier Field and still having to pay up a face value, I don't think is out of the question. I, I do Nashville. really, I really like that you're uh... not out of the question either. <laughs> That's a pretty close trip as well. Yeah. Your planning for this was absolutely not going to Fort Lauderdale, a place literally worse than hell. Or Columbus. <laughs> yeah. Or Columbus. Notice that. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, Chicago makes the most sense because, yeah, you can just get on the train. Yeah, but get on the train and they'll open up. So instead of fighting for one of 25,000 seats like I would if I, if I went to Cincinnati, I'll be fighting for one of 60,000 in Chicago. Yeah, that is true. And Nashville is much closer to us. Uh, bigger stadium, but that's mm -hmm. just 30,000. 30, so. I already went to Nashville, would, though. 
Fire gives away tickets to try to fill Soldier Field, so (laughs) I I doubt they're giving away tickets to that match, though, if it uh, comes to be. I also, I just, I like Chicago more than Nashville. I didn't like Nashville very much when I was there. (laughs) I do like Chicago to go and visit it as a city. Don't care much for their sports teams, except Mm -hmm. when Michael Jordan played there. But otherwise, not not at all. But have we beat this to death? I reckon so. No, we didn't, because you can tell Sean is out this week, because we talked about New York City for about five minutes, and not one of us made fun of the banner. We have really let him down. (laughs) I got one thing to say. That banner takes up more space in Sean's mind than it does physically in the... (laughs) (laughs) It does. It has been it, but that brings up something I saw on Twitter. Somebody posted a picture that there was a bigger banner that somebody had brought to Qatar to fly in the World Cup than is actually at the stadium in Yankee Stadium, them winning MLS Cup. That's hilarious. But that's all we got to say about that this week. Sean will come back. He'll double up on that for everyone Mm. that's disinterested. Oh, man. But the big news, and we've held this off. As far as we can, because, well, it's not that big, is the U.S. men's national team is in the World Cup. Perhaps you've heard. (laughs) Perhaps it's come across your radar. (laughs) What is this World Cup you speak of? It's about yay high and about this big, and (laughs) but that doesn't matter right now. Uh, (laughs) The World Cup is a cup that you put the world in. (laughs) It's not actually a cup, is it? It's more of this thing with the ball on top, but everybody wants it. (laughs) <laughs> the world phallus. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. They might get upset in Qatar. Now, FIFA oh. will come after you. The FIFA cops. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, U.S. men's national team did play their second match in the three-match uh, uh, group stage. Uh, still alive. They did play England. Considered one of the favorites to win the whole doggone thing. Uh, and Come on, Ingerland. The U.S. Ugh. did hold them to a nil-nil draw, which doesn't sound like much, but it was something I don't think we've ever seen was a U.S. team really putting one of the world's best uh, to the test. We lost this nil-nil draw. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, or won it. We lost the nil, the one one draw to Wales. We won the nil nil draw to England. I don't. In the minds I of people. don't necessarily agree with that. In the minds of people, I, you know, you but, wake me up Sunday morning. You offer me, hey, would you take a zero zero draw right now? Heartbeat, yes, an yeah. absolute heartbeat. But ah, then you was, watch the game. I, yeah, we should have won. So we should have won that game. game. Well, we could have, except for Harry Maguire. Yes, Harry Maguire. Have to say that uh, Harry Maguire was probably the man of the match, even though he was outplayed by a lot of U.S. players. He saved England's asses, quite frankly, in this one. Uh, He just stopped so many opportunities for the U.S. uh, in front of goal that (laughs) who could say if the U.S. would have actually converted them. But what we had never seen was the U.S. really go after a top team in the world and really have dominance for a great portion of the game. It was a big deal this summer 
or last summer as well, when the U.S. started to do it against Mexico. That was a big deal, but we really took it out on England. And Dos Acero, et cetera, et cetera. But, no, mm-hmm. but it was really those matches in uh, the League's Cup uh, and the Gold Cup where the U.S. just took it to them, wasn't afraid, didn't step, sit back, did go on the attack, and did pull out a victory. They couldn't in this one, um, and they're... They fluffed some chances, and Pulisic had a fantastic chance with his weaker foot that clanged off the post and had Pickford just beat all the rights. That goes in. This is a totally different story, Mm. but the story still can be told without that result is the fact that the U.S. and Berhalter had a tackle masterstroke by switching from his normal 4-3-3 to what is considered to be outdated 4-4-2 against what was considered to be England's strength in the midfield, and the U.S. midfield ate them alive in this one. I think it's very telling about how the game went that afterwards, all of English soccer Twitter and all of their publications in England acted like this game was boring because they were too arrogant to admit that they were being horribly outplayed (laughs) and were ever at any second worried that they were about to lose this game because... They were lucky that they didn't lose this one. What was the um? What was the headline that got published on the front page of like at least three different tabloids, and it was the exact same headline? The yawning lions or something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it um, that game was only not interesting if you have through sixty years of pure delusion convinced yourself that you have plot armor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's literally it's it's um yeah it's England like you know invents a sport spreads it around the world is <laughs> bad at it cannot win <laughs> yeah the draw is coming home yeah what wasn't splashed across <laughs> those headlines was the fact that england has never beat the u.s in a international competitive match and in fact have lost a match this is the one okay it was on the front page of the daily mirror the Sun and the Daily Star. All three ran the 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 front page headline "Yawn in the USA." <laughs> yeah, like, that's so clever, and, and all yeah, giving themselves round that, of applauses on that. It doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> it doesn't even work. Funny thing is, Pierce doesn't Morgan rhyme. It's not that. a close enough. <laughs> not a close enough spoof on Bruce Springsteen. You failed on that front. It it and only yeah, works if you, if you speak degenerate British English, I guess. <laughs> But to their credit, the coach, Gareth Southgate, who's not known for his tactical nose, and uh, most of the team interviewed afterwards, did state that they were, you know, thought it was a very tough match that the U.S., with their youth and their uh, attacking ability, uh, were going to pose a problem. And they did. They did really pose a problem. Uh, Berhalter came out, switched things up, put... uh, Weston McKinney far on the wide to the left, and him and Dest in the first half were, especially in the second part of the first half, really were running rampant through England. Uh, Ty Adams was destroying in the midfield, winning every second ball he, you know, anywhere within 100 yards of him, it seemed. Um, And uh, Christian Pulisic, instead of the game running through him, was able to make the late runs and come in. And it really put pressure on it. But, again, Weston McKinney fluffed a fabulous chance in front of goal. Just a little too eager, got leaned back, 
had pretty much an open net to shoot at and put it over the bar. Pulisic, as we've seen at Chelsea, made a fabulous move, got the ball in position, had a wonderful strike, and it clanged off of the post, or this case, the bar. We've seen that a lot at Chelsea. It just goes to show that they just need a little more time to get a little more comfortable and clinical in front of net. And that's something to look forward to uh, maybe later in this World Cup, and that later comes on Tuesday, uh, or especially in 2026 as this whole group grows up and grows together. Yeah. A lot of the response from England seems to have been, um, and I'm not mad, don't put in the newspapers that I was mad, because we (laughs) ran riot on them, really. Mm. And uh, England only had five shots on goal. The second half, when they made substitutions, they brought in Jack Grealish, who was a pest, and uh, kind of shored up their midfield way too late in the match, actually, to get anything done. They didn't even get their first shot in the second half till the 85th minute. Uh, Harry Kane did have a couple of chances that just weren't there. Matt Turner was shaky in the first 10 minutes, but after that, he was... Uh, he was doing quite well and didn't have a lot to do till he made one really nice save. Uh, nothing really pressuring the U.S. And that's one thing we've seen so far is against Rena Play and Zimmerman's penalty against uh, Bale was not necessary. Uh, the U.S. defense is tight, man. Uh, their, uh, their finishing in the attacking third is not, but their defense is tight and really causing problems for uh, teams to get through. Although, Chris, I did think that your tweet, which was like, uh, <laughs> Zimmerman stopped being the worst player on the field challenge level impossible or whatever you I, said. <laughs> I, I politely but firmly asked him to be better at soccer. Yeah, he was yeah. good defensively, but he had about four or five really scary bad passes that could have easily led to a goal going back the other way. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, St. Louis's own Tim Ream, the old man that kept it from being the, he himself kept this Tim spot Ream from being the youngest team tearing in the it World up. Cup, has been fantastic. <laughs> and his distribution oh, yeah. against England really showed and his ability to play against these teams will do. And, hey, we did get to see Gio Reyna on the field this time. <laughs> yeah. So you got what you wanted. Don't cry because you got what you wanted. <laughs> now they want more and more and more. <laughs> more will never be enough uh, on social media. You know how that goes. Uh, but a word also did come down. There was reports by the, you know, Eric Winalda, who is known to <sighs> try to make attention by saying crazy things. So how much you want to put into that is up to you, listeners. Uh but he came out and said that there's a rift between Reyna and Burhalter. Um, you know, these things happen in international football. And Burhalter's been through two World Cups and Reyna just turned 20. I don't know how much Burhalter wants to put up with uh, having his self questioned in these cases if these reports are true. And uh, they, you know, they can be. This happens in international football all over the world. All the time. Uh, Disagreement and ways to play. Uh, Players always, the best players and the most skillful ones sometimes are a little too arrogant at times and have to tone it down. Um, So I I don't want to put much stock in this at all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. 
if it's true, there's absolutely nothing podcasters and people on Twitter can do to solve it. So it's not worth thinking about. Yeah. But it won't stop us from trying to figure it out. No. <laughs> we'll just be wrong. I mean, terribly, terribly wrong. That's Is all that I know not for our sure. job? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's got to be another perhaps re- somehow less reputable podcast out there who is reading those tweets from Ronaldo and going on about a 15-minute rant about how Berhalter needs to be fired now, even before the Iran game, because that's just how this cycle works. I might have a list for you if you want to reach Mostly it's about monetizing hate in America mm. rather than yeah. actually believing the things that they're saying. What someone? Why would someone do that on the internet? Because <laughs> it pays. Unlike podcasting, which apparently does not. People at work just getting increasingly concerned about me listening to those shows at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is being radicalized by soccer podcasts. <laughs> soccer capital. It's not explicit, but it's not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be the title of this week's episode. Uh, but what it, what it comes down to is the U.S. is in the knockout stages already. Because Iran was able to put across a couple of late goals against a woeful Wales team uh, late in their match in their second game of the group stage, uh, they had the goal differential. So a draw will not do it. They also got a win. That won't do it. Um, but if the U.S. beats Iran, um, because Iran got just manhandled by England, uh, then the U.S. goes through. It's a, yeah, this one's real easy. Win and you're in. Yep. It comes down Mm -hmm. to that. And it's good to know that, uh, all of U.S. Soccer Federation is behind them because they made a wonderful decision today on Sunday, uh, put out all across social media, uh, a post uh, showing the Iranian flag without the Iranian uh, regime's uh, Islamic symbol in the middle of the flag, which wasn't met necessarily with the best uh, a response, I guess you would say. Where they were coming from was doing it in response to the current regime's, you know, ways of putting down women and all the protests and supporting the protesters, and that's a good idea, but. You know, how is that going to feel with the players who have supported the protesters but are from Iran and don't want to see their homeland, uh, you know, put down or insulted in any way? How are they going to take it? I mean, when your tweet of just these standings of Group B in the World Cup has people asking, wait a second, did you talk to the State Department about this first? <laughs> you made a decision. <laughs> a very strong decision. <laughs> The U.S. Um, Soccer Federation Twitter account is a FBI op. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just what one of the very youngest teams without a lot of experience of their key players playing together. Reina still hasn't played with uh, Musa and Dest and McKinney, Pulisic, and Adams at the same time in an international match at all. Not one minute. Well, I guess he did this this time around, didn't he? Or was Musa taken off for Aronson? I'm not sure. I don't really remember that. But word. it would have been the first time he walked on the field when everybody was available ever. Um, with a young team like this, it's pretty much inexperienced 
Yeah, why let the Federation just go ahead and dump things on them to put more pressure on them when they do the pre-match uh, press conferences? That's what they need. That'll help them out. What an amateur move. I think there is, in all seriousness, a big issue with this, which is this isn't just light mocking or anything like that. This is a statement that says Islam is the issue. You know, it's strongly, it's removing a religious symbol from a public place. This isn't condemning the government necessarily because it's still the tricolored Iranian flag, but it's removing the Islamic part of it. It's the same so flag that they flew before the revolution, which did not, yeah. you know, well, it it didn't necessarily not have had. the, the it, there was a version of it that did not have any symbol. That was like basically the one that they posted. But before the revolution, what it had was it had the seal of the the regime of the former regime. Um, but then I think like the civil ensign or something like that. Yeah, the Persian have, lion but had it. Now, are we blowing too, this too much out of proportion? I'm not sure. Uh, the players have come out on the I, side of the protesters in Iran. Are they going to be terribly upset about this? You walk a tricky line when you, you know, do anything that kind of desecrate to somebody's homeland in any way, shape, or form, as John Herman did with Croatia. Turned out well. Yeah. Uh, but it's just not pressure that you need. However, did get some feedback from on, on Twitter from some Iranian fans that says that they are actually hoping the U.S. beats them because they don't want this regime to have a victory like this and move on because of their policies and whatnot. Now, I don't know, don't think it was somebody that's actually in Iran that's an expat that was probably left because of what's going on. But are these players going to be that upset? You know, with Canada, John Herdman came out and said Canada was going to F up Croatia. And the locker room really took that as a problem for the Croatian players. He got them fired up and they destroyed Canada 4-1 today and knocked Canada out of the World Cup. Let's hope that the USS... F does not repeat such a misstep in this case. I mean, I don't think it's being blown out of proportion at all. I think it's a really, really dumb, tasteless move done by the Federation. And every and even if this isn't a bad idea from a sporting perspective, it's just not a good idea. It's a very, very tenuous, complicated situation. And if you're going to just dip your throw a grenade in the middle of it for locker room talk, it's it's so this is one of one of the one of the stupidest attempts at U.S. interventionism I've ever seen. <laughs> I'll say it that way. It's, it's so ill advised, so childish, so tasteless. There is no good reason whatsoever to do this. It doesn't accomplish anything. You're not really showing support for the protesters. You're just trying to stir shit for that and accomplishing nothing it's just unconscionable to do this i don't understand what anyone was going for i'm talking in circles right now because this situation makes no sense why what were you trying to accomplish and why do you think this was the good way to do it it just seems like some it, it seems unprofessional seems like somebody with a new jer- knee-jerk reaction going oh this will be cool didn't think it through you know not a professional social media step at all. Just seems like some social media bro did this because he thought it'd be cool over the weekend. And who's going to notice anyway? But yeah, uh, it's it's a real like Twitter liberal kind of thing to do 
to be like, oh, I'm going to own them by by changing the flag. And it's like, no, man, shut up. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no, (laughs) you're not going to own anyone on social media. If you got people asking, did you clear this with the State Department? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I think that pretty much sums up how stupid it was. Like when the U.S. Soccer Federation puts out a tweet and the most succinct thing that you can say to it is to quote tweet it with the with the image of that FBI fed on a laptop. Like, come on, man. Like, come on. (laughs) Oh, but we mentioned uh, Canada, the result against Croatia. Thanks to John Herman trying to fire up his base, not looking at the uh you know, the general election, so to speak. Uh, let's run down a little bit of what uh, CONCACAF has done in the World Cup. And Canada did get a goal. They got a goal in the World Cup. First time ever. And, of course, it was Alfonso Davies, uh, MLS veteran that he was for, what, three years and turned 20 when he moved to Germany. <laughs> uh, I don't even think he was anywhere near 20 when he moved to Germany. They did get a goal. And, uh, but they never got a point because they let the Belgium game slip through their fingers and then just got destroyed by Croatia today. Um, so they're gone. Them and Qatar are out of the tournament. Mm -hmm. Mexico has one point, but no goals, but they're still alive. Well, they're hanging their, their streak of getting to the knockout stages and then losing in the first match is, uh, hanging by a thread right now. Uh, point that out for all the people on Twitter that really wanted Tata Martino more than Greg Berhalter to be the coach because he was so much better. Let's think about that. I don't think it's really too much. I don't think it's a threat. I think they have more of a shot than that because what has to happen is them beating Saudi Arabia, Argentina beating Poland, and one of those games being by a two-goal margin. Which, sure, that's three things that has to happen, but they're three very, very reasonable things to expect to happen. So I think Mexico has a bit more than a thread in this tournament still. Except I've watched Saudi Arabia in this tournament, and I've watched Mexico, and I'm not so certain Mexico is good enough uh, to beat Saudi Arabia. Especially not in, not in the Middle East. Hmm. So we'll see. On the other hand, Costa Rica with one of the shocks of the tournament, turned around today and beat Japan, which has been so impressive to us U.S. onlookers for what they did against us in a friendly with nobody in the stands. And uh, in their first World Cup game, uh, Costa Rica turns around, got a goal, got a win. They got three points, and they're full in with a chance to advance in their group with Spain and Germany, except they have to beat Germany. Uh, to get it done. Germany, and, who who uh, managed to get a late equalizer and draw against Spain earlier today. Yep. And uh, mm. uh, Germany, of course, uh, got beaten earlier in that. So Germany now has one point. Costa Rica has three. So <laughs> Costa Rica has that. The U.S., on the other hand, has all of one goal, but they do have two points. And they are the one team that has not lost a match from CONCACAF in this World Cup and probably should have two wins, to be quite honest, Um, especially against Wales. That was disappointing. But uh, U.S. is playing well and has played well in this World Cup. There's a 
that scoring thing is against them. Uh, they have missed a lot of passes. They had a stupid mistake. Uh, correctable things for a very, very, very young international team. They get to play the next World Cup uh, on home soil, but they can still do damage in this tournament. And they showed that in that draw against England, no matter how the English fans want to say it was just a yawner. No, it, it, it's like I said, no, England knows they got their butts kicked. It's uh, don't put in the newspapers that I was mad. <laughs> England looks like they're going through thanks to thrashing Iran 6-2. Who is surprised by this? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody is surprised by uh, this. <laughs> Wales going to have to have a draw between the U.S. and Iran and then beat the hell out of England. I don't see that happening. Uh, so it really comes down to the Iran and the U.S., you know, on the world stage. I don't know how many people out there listening have seen this before, but just recall that Nightline started because of uh, happenings in Iran, including yeah. uh, U.S. Uh, personnel yeah. and <laughs> civilians uh, uh, in that just, country. Just going back on, in just going on Wikipedia and looking up U.S.-Iran relations. <laughs> Hold on a second, folks. I'm getting a note. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. It seems it seems that I have an urgent knocking at the door from the Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> uh, no, nah, they wouldn't knock. Iran wouldn't beat U.S. in the World Cup. Uh, completely blocking out 1998 out of my mind, but let's not go there. Uh, I don't remember it. But it'll be, this game is so important. If this young squad can make it to the knockout stages again for the U.S., that's a pretty good string if they make the World Cup of how they make it. It's so important uh, to get another game under their belt at this level and uh, to push through. Uh, they've still got your World uh, World Cup. Yeah, they got World Cup uh, uh, issues. Uh, <laughs> they also have a yellow card issues for a knockout stage match. But uh, thankfully... Uh, the referee in the England draw didn't show barely any cards and kept uh, Weston uh, McKinney none. and Serginio Dest on the pitch, though McKinney had one that possibly could have been called. I'm glad that he did let the boys play, as they say. Uh, that was actually in our favor long term. Yeah. Oh, he didn't show a single card the whole the whole match. And there was some card-worthy stuff, but all in all... Uh, the U.S. and England played pretty clean, pretty crisp. Uh, it was a well-fought match, and the U.S., for large stretches of that match, really had England scrambling and under the under the cosh, as they say. And so, really, really stepping in it and looking ahead, assuming we go through and assuming we would be uh, the runners-up in the group, which is the most likely scenario if we beat Iran— We'd be playing the winners of Group A, which could be any one of Netherlands, Ecuador, or or Senegal. Uh, no, the dreaded Dutch. Be. Yeah, we wouldn't be the favorites in any of those games, I don't think. But, you know, it's not France. Yeah. It's not Brazil. These are games we could win and see to the quarterfinals. I'm, I'm ruining it now, aren't I? <laughs> it, it's not going to happen now that I've said it. But I'm just saying the chance for an even deeper run is still there yeah everyone take the lathe of heaven away from chris <laughs> uh <laughs> what we learned in 2002 is if you take it one match at a time one match 
Not going to worry about what's ahead. Focus on Iran. Get that one done. Then get in the next match. See how we match up. It's one simple step at a time. Don't get ahead of ourselves. Iran's going to be a tough match. Uh, U.S. probably has more talent on the pitch. But Iran has a lot more history of their players playing together. And uh, that does matter. No matter what other people want to tell you that it does not. Talent isn't the only thing. Uh, (laughs) Belgium's showing that alone. (laughs) Well, you have to keep your talent out of the retirement home. That's Belgium's problem. (laughs) (laughs) All all of our soccer players are survivors from the siege of Flanders. (laughs) And despite what you might have heard on social media, it is apparent that Greg Berhalter is a better coach than Roberto Martinez. And we'll let that sit for a little bit and soak. Uh, <laughs> anything else you guys have for this week and follow up on this? No, I think we can just get an in and out on this one. Uh, we do think uh, we have great plans to have a special throw-in episode after the group stage, no matter what. Kind of follow up. Uh, hopefully give you a look ahead if we have that, but uh, I'm making no promises and I have yeah, no dreams. There are right reservations. <laughs> we got one game to get through. We'll see how that goes. I, you know, going into this tournament, I was full on. You ever see the movie Major League? When there's the one heckler, the whole, the whole movie who doesn't think they, they're going to win anything until they actually win it. That was me before we started this tournament. But after that England game, I'm on the hype train. I think that we, I believe in this team. I do too, and the Wales draw was so disappointing because they really had control of that match and against a bunkered-in defense, really were creating chances. Uh, England's a much more talented team than Wales, and they had England on the back foot for a great deal of that match. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect to see that. I thought the U.S. could hang with them, but I didn't expect them to dominate possession. I mean, this is what Klinsman promised, and it's what Burhalter promised. Klinsman did not get that done. Burhalter has. Uh, so the question is, uh, you know, can they fulfill their promise? Or with the pressure on, will their young age actually start to show the pressure and crack? It's possible. It happens with young players, but this team already has a lot of uh the big game experience uh, up and down the roster. We'll see how it goes. And uh, it's just a matter of keeping the pressure on Iran and uh, letting our defense, which has been so stout, keep them in the game. That's the real key to getting through to the knockout stages. And, you know, not just the defense, Matt Turner has been really solid this tournament too. He was shaky early on in the England match, but he settled down And they didn't have any real chances until he had to make one big save. He was up for it. So he's Mm -hmm. been really good. Ream's been very good. Zimmerman, yeah, they're asking a lot of his distribution that hasn't been there. And he made one big mistake. But otherwise, in a lot of ways, uh, he was also a match for heading balls out in the box Mm -hmm. like Harry Maguire. Though England did not ask the questions against the U.S. defense that the U.S. asked about England's. which is a telling statement on its own. And I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. 
My name is Chris. And we are, as I mentioned, the Soccer Capital Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. Bye for now.